Good morning. My name is Brady. I'm a member here at Redeemer. I'll be reading Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they, were devoted, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship to break, breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and, all, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. You may be seated. Um, well, it felt a little emptier in here earlier, so I'm, I'm glad that a lot of you are coming in. Remember, today is Family Sunday, so we've got um, some little ones in here with us. Thank you, parents, for uh, trusting us and your kids enough to bring them into service with us. I guess you didn't really have a choice, but thank you anyway. Um, we, we really do find it a special time. Also, I know that, you know, as I look around every week and I notice who is and isn't here, there are some faces that I just haven't seen in weeks. And so I know that many of you might be watching. Um, there's a, a few people that we know have just been sick. And so I want to just point out, Brenda, we miss you. It's been a few weeks that we've seen you. Um, a couple people have actually come up and asked me, hey, how's Brenda? Where is she? Um, Brenda and, and many people who have not been able to come, um, we miss you. So get well. Please come see us again. Come worship with us. Uh, and, and it's that kind of thing that when someone comes up to me before service, it's like, hey, I haven't seen this person in a while. Do you know how they are? Are they okay? Um, I love the fact that we miss one another. Even people that don't sit right next to each other, we miss one another. We notice when you're not gone. Um, and that is actually, uh, I'm hoping and praying that that's one of those aspects of groups where that begins to flourish. That it's not, hey, you're not here, you're supposed to be here. It's, I miss you. I miss worshiping next to you. I miss taking communion with you. Um, and so we hope that all of you get well, and we hope that all of you who are here stay well and, and keep coming back. We enjoy singing. You guys were singing fantastically this morning. That's probably the loudest I've heard you sing, and I loved it. Um, well, I'll introduce myself. My name is Ryan. I am the pastor of Preaching and Vision here. And so, uh, like, we're, like I mentioned, we're going through in January this preaching, this uh, vision series for 2023. We've talked about um, installing elders as something that we hope to do this year. We've talked about equipping classes as something we're hoping to continue doing this year as we, uh, Brian builds this class to teach all of you uh, how to read your Bibles, and how to teach people to read their Bibles. And so um, we're, we're hoping to build those out. And the last thing, like Kelsey mentioned this morning, is small groups. That uh, this week we're launching out our leaders, we're commissioning them, and we're going to pray for the whole church at the end of the service. Um, but we're sending out our group leaders to uh, start small groups, to open up their homes, that we plant little tiny churches in our communities so that the gospel would be advanced in San Angelo. And so uh, Kendall and I got to spend 
a few months with group leaders, and it was a really sweet time. Like everyone knew getting into this um, that they would then stop coming to our house for the rest of their time, that we would send them out. Uh, And that was a hard thing. We miss having them over on Monday nights. We had our own little small group so we could model that, so we could talk about that, so we could talk about our fears, so we could pray with one another, so that they could pray for us. And it, it really was this sweet community, and we miss it. But in thinking about what that was and thinking about those groups being sent out, Kendall and I are really excited for those to be pockets of our church and our community where you guys can all come and, and be together, sitting under the apostles' teaching, observing and devoting yourself to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers, that all of your needs would be met together in Jesus in these, these groups. So um, before I start a whole other sermon without my notes, I'm going to get into this because we have... Uh, kids in here with, um, I want to say a shorter attention span, but I think it's just the same. They're just louder about it. So um, one thing I want us to, to start out thinking about when we're talking about groups and we're looking at what scripture has to say about Christian community, we need to ask ourselves, this is our leading question, what role does Christian community play in Jesus building and caring for his church? What role does Christian community, these small groups, what role does that play in Jesus building and caring for his church? Because there's a lot of misconceptions. There's a lot of bad experiences. We all have our experiences. Some are good. Some are helpful. Some have made it difficult for us to want to go and be a part of a group. Some of our experiences have actually misled us. Even though we may think it's good, it may have misled us in a direction Um, that scripture does not intend for us to hold Christian community as. And so I want to give us this this hope and this sense of understanding that as we go out into our worlds, as we go out into our week, that we go out with a hope and an excitement to be a part of what Jesus is doing in his church by building and caring for Christian community. So I wanna, I wanna show us how groups, how Christian community can contribute to Jesus building and caring for his church. So um, really quickly, I wanna spend a little bit of time on what Christian community, what role Christian community does not play. And this is probably the most abundant reason that uh, we have decided, yeah, I'm not doing that again. I'm not going to a group again. Or it's probably the thing that has caused us the most pain and has led us to cause others the most pain in groups is when we get this aspect of the role of church in building the church, okay? And really, to sum it up in one word, kind of the modern word is codependence. It's this fear of man, this what we're actually doing is expecting one another to meet our needs, when we come in expecting the church to be the place where our needs are met. Now, let me just be really clear. Christians find their needs being met within the church. But let's not put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. 
Okay, we don't come into the church so that our needs would be met. We come into the church that the church can point us to finding our needs met in Jesus. So when we come into this place, we come into this room, we come into our, our groups later, do not come into a, a place surrounded by Christians expecting for you to be given approval, to be given acceptance, for you to be, your soul to be satisfied in those people. Because as long as you do that, you will kill Christian community. Because that's not where our souls are made to be fulfilled. Now, here's, here's the, the thing with that, why I use this um, point of clarity from the very beginning. Because in Christian community, when our souls are being met, our souls' needs are being met in Jesus, you will find approval and acceptance and forgiveness. You, those things will happen, but they're the fruit. It's what comes out. It's what's being produced in Christian community. That's not what we come into hoping and expecting to find. Because when we fantasize or romanticize about what things could be like, we, we create expectation. When we come into anything with expectation, we've already killed it. Nothing can match the, the fantasy of expectation in your head. Nothing. You'll always be disappointed. Is anybody um, newly married, like within the first year or two years of marriage? Okay. Are your expectations being met? You're free to shake your head no. Okay? Because even if, even if we think they are, like the wheels on those expectations are going to fall off. We come into things expecting, well, this is what marriage is supposed to be like. This is what having four kids is supposed to be like. This is what church planting is supposed to be like. Don't do that. You kill the thing you're expecting. So let's not do that with community. Um, my last planned joke. This is... This is no, no promises on the unplanned ones. The, that 38 special song, you hold on loosely and don't let go. So hold on, but don't let go. If you cling too tightly, you're going to lose control, right? Don't look into the rest of the song. That's where the analogy stops. But if we hang on, if we, if we are trying to squeeze out of our lives something to satisfy us, you're going to kill it. You're going to lose control. It's never going to meet your needs. It can't. So you're putting your hope in the wrong place. What role do groups actually play? So if we're building up these small groups not to meet the needs of our church, then what role do groups play? Why are we building up these small groups and sending out our leaders to open their homes? It's so that we will perpetually preach the gospel of Matthew 11. When Jesus stands in front of everyone, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, all who need rest, and you will find rest. 
for your souls. This is the role of groups. Not that we'd look to one another, not that a small group would be the place where finally I found Christian community, finally I'm getting what I need. Because we've been waiting for almost two years for this. And when we send these out, this is why it's taken so long. Because we have to send out, what we're doing, we're planting little churches, we're planting little culture Uh, Christian culture kingdoms around St. Angelo. And what kind of culture do we want to plant in St. Angelo? A culture that's dependent on Jesus. Not cultures of codependence on one another. And so groups will perpetually preach Jesus saying, come to me all who are weary and find rest for your souls. Okay. In Acts 2 like we've done for uh, the last four, three weeks, we're gonna start by asking these five questions. Remember the five questions. I know Mary remembers the, the first one. What's, does anybody else remember the first one? What's the first question? Chandler's cheating. <laughs> I don't know who's on the, the computer if it's not Chandler. I can't see. What's the first question? You already saw it. Who is God? All right, who remembers the second question? What's he doing? Who are we? What do we do? And how do we do it? Exactly. If you have not written that in your Bible, if you're like a, I'm going to write in my Bible kind of person, write those questions. Always ask those questions, kids. If you are a child, as you go through this world, this is for everybody, but I want to speak specifically to the kids as you go through this world, as you learn what it means to be Christian, as you learn about the Bible and about prayer and about worship, what I want you to be constantly asking yourself because you will have questions. The first three questions that I want you to lead your whole life with is who is God? What's he doing in my life, in this world? And then who am I? And when we answer that third question, that who am I question, kids, I want you to answer that thinking about who God says you are. And where do you find those answers? You find those answers in scripture. You find those answers in Christian community. So adults and kids, listen, those three questions guide your life. Who is God? What is he doing? And who am I? Now, we've already established those, those first three in context of um, this year and then this preaching series this month, what we're asking in those three questions, these answers, because throughout Scripture, those answers are so different because God is so big, there's so many answers to that question, who is God? As it relates to where God has us now and especially in our text in Acts 2, who is God? Jesus is the head of the church. What is he doing? He's building and caring for his church. And who are we? We are the church. Now, it's because of those three. It's because of who God is, what he's doing. It's our collective identity in God's, as being God's children, his chosen, holy, and dearly loved children. 
and our collective devotion to his leadership, to his teaching, to his care. This is why we do what we do and how it, it tells us how we do it. So who God is, what he's doing, and who we are informs what we're doing and how we do it. All right, that's why those first three questions are so important. We have to start there when we read scripture and really when we think about life in general. So what do we do? As we think about what role Christian community plays in the church, what do we do? We preach the gospel. Jesus builds and cares for his church when the gospel is preached by the church. We remind one another that only in Jesus are we saved. Only in Jesus are we forgiven. Only in Jesus are our souls satisfied and made one with God our Father forever. And I asked that question earlier before we got started in the message, what does a flourishing church look like? And one of the things that we said was worship. What does a flourishing church look like? Well, when you look at Acts 2, and this is a flourishing church. It's a church that's being built up. It's a church that's being cared for. They were selling their possessions and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. A church that's being cared for, that's flourishing, that's growing, is a church that hopes in Jesus alone. It's a church that doesn't look to itself and the members within it to meet its needs. So let's look at, we'll start in verse 41. And I put verse 41 in there on purpose to give us a connection to what just came before. Peter just preached the gospel. It says in verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized. That's important. We'll come back to that that portion. Those who received his word, the gospel, that we only hope in Jesus, they were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. What this tells us is that this church, the early church, thousands of people saturated themselves with the gospel. It begins with the gospel. They devoted themselves, their lives to the gospel, to learning it and then to living it. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. And I'm gonna clear that up in just a second, what that means, but also to the fellowship. The fellowship is the gathering that they came together regularly to gather as one. For what purpose? For the breaking of bread and the prayers. The breaking of bread, communion, when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So they gathered together. They sat under the apostles' teaching as they gathered together to be reminded of the gospel, to pray together to one another, to worship God together. Their whole life, not just their Sunday, their whole life was saturated with the gospel. Their Sunday was this outward expression of what the rest of their lives looked like. 
And then it says, awe came upon every soul. Have you ever been in awe? I took my wife to Glacier National Park for our 10th anniversary last year. And there's like, there's just this moment as you're driving like 2,000 feet up on a cliff that like death right there. And you look out, we're stopped in traffic, I can't drive and look out at the mountains. And it's just this valley and mountains just all the way down. And it's incredible. And as, as much in awe as I felt like I was, as I just couldn't stop looking at it, I knew I didn't get it. I knew Like, there's something about my experience that just can't, I can't feel the tops of these mountains. I can't feel the cold on the tops and the warmth down in the valley. I can't smell the ground and hear all the birds and all the trees. There's just too much. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you've held your first kid and you're just like, that's too much. Maybe listening to a song that really has moved you or you've read a book that all the pieces at the end just kind of come together. Maybe worship. Your, your just soul is filled with awe. Let's use that as a vision and a hope for this church. What are we pursuing because when we look to our, ourselves and one another to meet our needs, our souls will not be filled with all. Our souls will be filled with disappointment. Because we are incomplete. We are not God. Our souls will be in awe when we submit ourselves to the teaching of the apostles, to the gospel that Jesus alone saves and satisfies. Then our souls will be in awe. What if, what if the goal, the hope of our groups is, is not to have as, more groups multiplied? We're going to have 20 people in every group. We got thousands of people coming to Redeemer. What if our goal is not to raise the bank account numbers at, here at Redeemer and eventually we got to move out of our building? Eventually we're going to plant three or four other churches. What if that's not our goal? That's success, right? We, we think about what it means to be successful in this world. That's what we think. But what if our goal, what if success looks like every soul in this room being filled with awe for who God is and what he's done? How do we do that? Well, it's by devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, what is the apostles' teaching? It's a lot, all right? There's thousands of pages written on the doctrine of the church. That's what that is. When, when Scripture says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, it's talking about everything. What does all of Scripture mean? Yes, that's the apostles' teaching. But at its core, at its most fundamental And if we look before Acts 2 and after Acts 2, this becomes a lot more clear. What led to the church multiplying and growing and being fruitful and causing it to worship is what Jesus commanded. The primary root 
teaching in John 13, 34. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. Now he's using the word commandment on purpose. This is a brand new instruction, a brand new um, tablets of stone. A brand new commandment I give to you to learn and to live by, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And this commandment comes in that order every time. First, the love of Jesus for us. Then, our love for one another. It's from the saturation of the love of Jesus that the church overflowed in love for one another. So if we look at verse uh, 44, all who believed, it has to start there. All who believed, who received the love of Jesus were together. It created unity. They had all things in common, not They all just looked the same. They all had white skin. They all wore plaid shirts. They all wore black shoes. They all believed the very same things. They all spoke the same way. They made each other comfortable. They were all in the same life stage. No, they had all things in common, meaning they were one. There was no division between them. Their souls were united in the gospel. And they were selling their possessions and belongings. Why? To distribute the proceeds not to keep for themselves, but also not to uh, make themselves look better. Well, if you keep reading, there's a story of two people that sell their possessions and their land to make themselves look better, and they die. As a way to say, sin leads to death. But they sell their, their possessions and belongings, and they distributed the proceeds as any had need, and day by day, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Do you see the connection here? Those who believed and all who received this word had glad and generous hearts. We cannot love unless we have first received love. You will not ever be able to truly love someone if you're expecting something from them first. This is like the the whole problem with codependence. You cannot serve if you're expecting to be served. Also, even, even when we can, even when we find a motivation to, to serve and to love, we need to be thinking about, am I doing this because I'm expecting to get something back? Look at 1 John 4. Now, 1 John 4, we're going to be in 15 through 16 and 19 through 20. This is not my idea. This whole codependence thing, this like you can't love unless you first receive Jesus's love or if you're loving somebody to get something back from them, you're a liar. That's not my idea. This is actually the apostles teaching. John was an apostle. And so what we're looking at here in Acts 2, when it says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, we're looking at it in 1 John 4. What's that apostle's teaching? Listen, 
Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. How incredible is that? If you confess that Jesus is the Son of God and he saved your soul, God abides in you. Literally, God abides in you if you confess Jesus. And you abide in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. We've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. That makes sense. Now listen to this. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. Whoever loves God must love his brother. Can we just let that scripture read us for a second? If you are expecting someone to give you something, or if you love in order to be loved back, your love is transactional. It's not rooted in the gospel. You will always feel shorted. You will always feel like like the people around you can't measure up. And you yourself will probably also always feel like you can't measure up. But we love because he first loved us. When our love is satisfied in Jesus, when, when like you talk about, you hear about people talking about like the, the buckets and that Psalm 23, my cup overflows. That's what that's talking about. When your love, your need for love is satisfied in Jesus, only then can you preach the gospel to your neighbor and love your brother and sister. So let's think about that on the reverse. If I'm struggling to love my brother and sister, if I'm struggling to preach the gospel to them, what am I missing? I I need to come back to Jesus. I need to be filled with more Jesus. And so this leads us into our next and final question. How do we do it? If what we do is preach the gospel, how we do it is by receiving the gospel. I can't preach the gospel I don't believe in. How unconvincing would my preaching be? Like when your kids ask, or like maybe you're a teacher or you've, you've been in charge of some kids before and they ask you for something, you're like, no. And then they say, Why? If you don't believe in your why, you're either going to say, because I said so, or you're going to fumble over your words and they're going to be like, yeah, I don't buy it. You must be convinced of the gospel that you preach. You must know the love of Jesus in order to truly be able to love. So, how do we do that? How do we receive the love of Jesus? Well, our model here in Acts 2, when um, after Peter preaches, they say, 
wow, Jesus died for us, so what do we do now? And Peter says, repent and believe. Turn from your sin, confess your sin, and receive forgiveness in Jesus. He's already forgiven you. So we repent, we turn from what we were putting our hope in, and then we receive hope in Christ. We receive Jesus. Now, I want to remind you that the, the role of community in doing this, in receiving the gospel for ourselves and preaching it to our brothers and sisters, you will forget. You will forget the love of Jesus. You will forget what the gospel even says, what it even means. You will look to other things for your hope. This is why we need to be in community, not so that our needs will be met there, but so that our community points us back to Jesus. Um, Pastor and martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote this book called Life Together, incredible book. It's pretty short, but it's translated from German, so there's a little, a few things that are kind of missed in translation, but there's this one quote that when he's emphasizing the role that Christian community plays in lifting up uh, the, the church with the gospel for those of us who forget the gospel. This is what he says. The Christ in your heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of your brother. Don't we always feel like other, other people get Jesus more than we do? So what if we didn't compare ourselves to them and we just went to them I said, hey, I know you're convinced of Jesus. Will you give me some of that? The Christ in your own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of your brother. Your own heart is uncertain. Your brother's is sure. Our hope for groups is that those people in groups are the best pastored people at Redeemer because they're constantly being pushed back into Jesus. Not, oh yeah, come here. And man, you're gonna find so much life and satisfaction and community. No, no, no. Come here and you'll find Jesus. You'll find rest for your soul. It's together in community that we discover these deep needs of our soul for forgiveness, for acceptance, for love and peace and satisfaction and that we're pointed back to those needs being met in Jesus. And then we, we love one another by sharing the love that we've been given. We are generous to one another when we share the generosity that Jesus gave to us. We forgive one another as we've been forgiven. And so we look again at verse 47, this overflow from the church into the world. Look at verse 47. Uh, actually, right before 47 and verse 46, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is our one of our ultimate hopes and prayers for groups is not that we would get more Christians to come to them, but that we would get people who don't know Jesus to come to them so that they would see we receive our food with glad and generous hearts, that we praise Jesus and we have favor with the world so that their souls will be added to our number. Now, if we strive for this, we've already killed it. Jesus says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. So we're just gonna abide in him 
and rest in him and come to him, we're going to let him worry about the fruit. But I have to point out the point is fruit. And if we're not bearing fruit, we need to look, is our hope in Jesus? Um, Charles Spurgeon, I've shared this quote with you before. Charles Spurgeon um, says this uh, about this verse and many others like it. The world doesn't read the Bible. The world reads Christians. Jesus was serious when he said, the world will know you're my disciples by the way that you love. The world will know you belong to me by the way that you treat one another. So what gospel are we preaching by the way that we treat one another, by expecting love from one another and not pointing ourselves back to Jesus? We're we're telling the world, hey, nothing to see here. This just works the same as what you've got out there. No reason to come to the church. But when our needs are being met in Christ, when our soul is filled in his love and in his forgiveness, we preach a compelling gospel that the world has no idea where else it can find that kind of joy and satisfaction because there is nowhere else. When we love one another, when we receive the gospel, when we receive the love of Christ and it pours out into love for one another, the world sees that. And they say, I want that. But if we're doing it the other way around, if we're coming into groups expecting something, saying this is where my soul will be satisfied, eventually what we're going to end up doing is preaching a broken, incomplete, unconvincing, uncompelling gospel that tells the world, you don't want what we have. It doesn't change you. And so I'm going to ask you for two things. As you try out groups this week and next week and the next week, you can kind of check them all out. As you try out these groups, I'm going to ask you to do two things. Come looking for your soul to be met, to be, your soul's needs to be met in Jesus, period, just Jesus. And come willing to contribute to other souls being met in Jesus, Groups are not just for you to have a place to be served. It's a place for you to serve. Lastly, as we move into communion, I want to pay attention again to these first uh, three verses. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Do you know what that is? What, what's being said there is this. This moment that we're in together is what the early church did always. They met regularly. They met every week on Sunday, on Saturday, whatever you believe where Sundays came from, it doesn't matter. They met regularly to sit under the preaching of the apostles, to break the bread together, to confess their sins to one another, and to receive the love of Jesus. So if you're a Christian today, this is your inheritance. This is your legacy that we get. It is a grace to us to share this time together, to take communion together as we confess in Jesus alone is my soul satisfied. So we take the bread, which is all gluten-free, by the way. 
And as we take the cup, which is just grape juice, probably watered down grape juice, we confess this together as believers. Holy Father, thank you for the opportunity to preach your word, to declare your goodness and your grace to your people. God, thank you for serving me, that you would fill my heart and my soul in such a way that it would overflow into serving your church. Would you forgive me, Father, for looking to her for my soul to be satisfied? Would you lead me to believe deeper and deeper in your gospel that you sent your son for me to be saved and satisfied in him? Would you build your church? Would you care for your church through the gospel being preached within your church? Amen.